Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise, and sometimes on-location, on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT experts to discuss a single idea. Today's episode is focused on the little guys, the, the little uh, animals out there blazing a trail while the dinosaurs fight, the, the small startups. Before we get started, uh, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hi everyone, my name is Rose Ross and I'm the founder and chief trailblazer at the Tech Trailblazers Awards. Hi, I'm Justin Warren, founder and principal analyst at uh, Pivot9 Analyst and Consultants. And hi, I'm Tim Crawford, I'm CIO and strategic advisor at Avoa. And as usual, I'm Stephen Foskett, uh, organizer of the Tech Field Day events and publisher of Gestalt IT. So uh, those of us in the industry who uh, watch the industry as sort of independent analysts and so on, um, you know, I think that it's kind of an evocative image to think about the, uh, uh, the, the little, uh, little mammals running around in the underbrush while the dinosaurs are fighting. And that to me is sort of symbolic of what happens in the uh, IT industry too. Um, certainly we're at a strange, uh, strange time. Uh, I don't wanna stretch the metaphor too much, but uh, you know, the, 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 the asteroid hit um, the, the pandemic uh, really messed up the economy. Um, the big dinosaurs are all fighting to see who can survive. Uh, there's the cloud out there and it's uh, threatening them all too. And at the same time, there's all this innovation happening um, in the startup ecosystem. And that's really what the Tech Trailblazers is about. And it's why I enjoy being part of it. Um, you know, let's start though with the dinosaurs. Uh, Justin, do you wanna go first? Uh, tell us a little bit more about this battle of, of the old companies. Yeah, it's it's one of those uh, things that comes up from time to time for those of us who've been in the industry a while where people get used to the way things were being done. Uh, they get very large under the conditions that, that were conducive to them growing. And then something changes. And we often find that the big incumbents don't really understand what's going on. Basically, they just don't see it. And when it happens, they all panic. Um, and that panic can kind of spread through the industry a bit. You know, people fire lots of people and start worrying about the future of the industry and it's all, oh, it's all doom and gloom. And then while that's going on, we have all the startups who just get on with it and it's for them, it's much more of an opportunity. So it's a period of change and we're kind of right in the middle of it, which is always really tricky to see what it's going to look like next. Uh, while you're right there looking at, you know, this is all happening around us, it's hard to see what the future will actually be, but it's fun to speculate. You know, it's it's interesting to see how these incumbents uh, play through this time period. And when you think about it, there's also a lot of inertia that's at play too that you can't deny. And so, especially in the enterprise and large enterprise space, I mean, change is hard. And so bringing innovation in can be hard and sometimes can be risky. However, one of the things we are very quickly realizing, and we've kind of gotten a masterclass in it through the pandemic, is that we have to change. Our stakeholders are changing. Our expectations on our business is changing. Our customers are changing. Even the same customers that we've been serving for the last decade or so, they're changing. And so our business must change. And therefore, the technology that we use to help innovate our business must also change. The challenge is it's hard for these incumbents to make those tectonic shifts, unlike some of the startups that can be incredibly innovative and bring both new technology, new process, and just a new way of thinking 
without all of the historical baggage that sometimes comes to to bear with some of these incumbents. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but we are definitely at a pivot point uh, within the industry. Mm. And we've definitely always seen that you, you only get a startup if somebody sees that there's something missing in one of the, the big, big areas, one of the big players. You wouldn't risk, you know, your livelihood. You wouldn't give up a job. You wouldn't ask for funding. You wouldn't remortgage your home unless you thought you had something to bring to the party. So, you know, I think that's why trailblazing is the way it is, because people see that there's a path that needs to be trodden and they don't see anybody else doing it or doing it as well as they should do. And there's a risk for these big companies, too, because um, it's incredibly rare for a company to undermine their own business, their own market, their own products by innovating. Um, it, it, it so rarely happens. My, my favorite recent example is Apple uh, coming out with the iPhone, competing with the iPod, which was their golden egg and putting that functionality in something that people weren't going to buy anymore. And basically, nope, we're giving up on this entire product that we're defined by and we're going to go in this other direction. And we're so confident that, and, and, they, and it worked. And, and you rarely see companies do that, especially big companies, big public companies, because they just can't afford it. Um, you know, in the in the trailblazing metaphor, I guess, you know, you're stuck on the highway. It's not like you can drive the semi down the trail. You know, you have to let the trail um, mature a bit before you can go there. And also you really have to, you know, kind of make sure that you're making the most of the products and the market that you already have, because you run the risk of really, you know, uh, completely collapsing in, in instead of, um, you know, going in a different direction. Yeah. And to take that a step further, I mean, the math doesn't play out anymore for these folks. You know, in the past, each of these large incumbents would have massive R&D budgets. In fact, they'd be, their success would be measured in some ways based on how much money they were spending in R&D. And you don't see that to the same degree anymore. Um, most of the innovation comes from outside. And so if you kind of think about the math of it, if we're making 10 different bets within one of these companies, and let's say it's each one is 10 units, well, that's 100 units worth of cost. To, to take these 10 bets and maybe only one of them plays out. So now you're spending a hundred units for 10 units of one particular um, outcome, as opposed to letting the marketplace, the broader marketplace do, and startups do the innovation, take the risk. And then I can go out and even if I'm paying twice as much for a company, that's 20 units versus a hundred units and it's a sure thing. So the risk level is low. The cost is low from the vendor standpoint, but I think that the challenge from the customer is how do you know which ones to start working with and which ones on both the incumbent side of things as well as the startups, which ones are actually going to align best with where you need to take your business? And that's a, that's a bit tricky because we don't necessarily think that way or haven't had to think that way over the last several decades but that's exactly what we need to do moving forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the challenges for the startups as well. Some of them may have the absolutely blindingly diamond idea, but can they actually express it to you, Tim, as a CIO? You know, they might be completely off beam with the messaging. So these, you, you need some pointers to, to go, hey, you know, sometimes I need to understand better what you're trying to, sh to, to give me and see if that actually fits with what I need or what I might need in 12 months time. And, and maybe one 
additional point to that, and I'll turn it over to Justin, which is, is the CIO really your penultimate target or customer, or should they be? You know, in the past, that was always the case, was if you can get to the CIO, oh my gosh, you're golden. That's the way to go. That is not the case anymore. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that, which we probably won't go into in this particular episode. But you have to understand who it is you're targeting, why you're targeting them, and who at the right level you should be targeting. And that will then inform you as to, as you said, Rose, how you communicate and pitch your particular solution for success. Uh, we see that with our consulting clients all the time. This is basically what we spend most of, uh, most of our day doing is talking to these companies. But you, you make a good point, both of you, about how do you find out what people want and what is that need? I think as the, these incumbents have struggled with that because they've been looking inside, not outside. So they kind of don't know what they want either. And that makes it difficult for some of the startups because you're talking to people in these big companies and trying to, trying to get them to tell you what they actually want. They say what they think they want, and that's not often the same thing. And so there's that, that real risk that the startups in particular is that you might be developing off in a direction which isn't actually what customers want. It's what they've told you, but it's like you have to look behind that a bit and really figure out what's going on. But that's where you need to be much more in touch with what customers are actually doing and, and do your homework. Go and look into what is actually really going on rather than it just being this vague reaction to, well, we think everyone else is doing this, so we'll just kind of follow the herd. The real trailblazers there, they have re a really solid understanding of what customers are really doing, what the real need is, and how to solve it. Well, the model's broken, right? I mean, if you look back over time, the model used to be vendor asks customer, what do you need? Vendor goes off and builds it. Six months later, they come back, they deliver it, customer buys it, and then the, the uh, cycle repeats itself. You know, it's, it's the old Henry Ford quote. If I would have asked customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Obviously, he had a different vision, and I think this is where startups really play an integral role is not just asking customers what they want, but rather stepping back and identifying where are the opportunities that maybe they haven't asked for yet. Definitely. And that's certainly what we're seeing with the kind of people we, you know, you kind of look at what they're offering and you go, oh, how, how's that going to fit into today? And actually they're not necessarily developing something for today because they've already seen that there's going to be a gap in six, 12 months time, or it's a very small niche market at the moment but it has so much potential to grow because of the way that the market's moving. And they're the guys who are going to be really making a mark in the future. Yeah. It's, it's tricky for the tech companies too, because they like, you can often see, oh, this is a technical thing that we think we should build a better mousetrap, but then how do you actually talk about it to customers? And that's, that's something that like, the entire tech industry struggles with uh, the incumbents, as well as some of the, the new people. The really good uh, trailblazers are, are good at not only building the, the technology, but talking about it in a much more human and accessible way, talking about not just speeds and fees, but the benefits to you. Like, why does this exist? What, what is it for? What does it do for me? And why is it different from something else I might have otherwise considered? And then, as, as you mentioned, Tim, trying to get customers to realize that, huh, I'd never thought about it that way you know what? You're right. I definitely do want that. 
you know, one of the problems that I see that, that does come up sometimes is you see these really kind of innovative solutions looking for a problem. And then they really struggle to have that conversation around, well, this is a great thing and, and you could do all of these really cool things with it. Well, you're assuming from the customer standpoint that I have those problems or one of those problems, and that isn't always the case. And so the, the conversation really needs to start with what is it you're trying, to, what problem are you really trying to solve for from an orientation standpoint? And then how are you looking to solve it? And the trap you have to be careful about is just because there's a problem there doesn't necessarily mean it's meant to be solved or should be solved. And so there's a value equation that you have to go through to say, okay, we could solve this problem, but is this really where we should be putting our time and effort? And more importantly, do we think the customers will buy it? And if it's not rising, you know, kind of the cream rising to the top, where it's going to be solving one of the big problems that a customer has, it's going to be a pretty long sales cycle and pretty hard to sell, which is, you know, the death knell for startups. You want that quick, easy to, easy to see the path toward progress and, and be able to, to pull the trigger and go. So one of the things that I see about the technology industry today, though, is, I mean, we could have had this conversation, much of this conversation, um, at any point for, for, for quite a few years, maybe decades, right? But I think there's a fundamental difference in the technology industry today, and it all revolves around sort of the way that things are constructed. Um, we live in a world now, uh, well, number one, where everything is software. I mean, software has eaten the world for the most part. Very few companies are coming out with, uh, with a new hardware product. I, you know, you look at the Tech Trailblazers Award category. I don't see the hardware category in here. I'm sorry. I think you might have missed that one. Um, you know, it, no, it's not hardware. It's, um, you know, things are, are AI and cloud and containers and developers and IoT and edge. And all this stuff is, is built um, on software. But more to the point, not just on software, on uh, basically a proliferation of open source and cloud uh, components. And not just on that, but on a very developer-centric, uh, microservices-centric way of doing things. And so basically the, the, the entire nature of technology in the enterprise tech space has changed to the point now where it's much, I think it's much easier for these companies to um, think of an idea, communicate with, uh, with the people who are actually out there needing things because you know, they're on GitHub, they're um, at conferences, they're asking for, you know, a tool that does this or that. Um, it's much easier for them to build the thing because they don't have to, you know, put solder wires together or let alone, you know, design an ASIC or something like that. And it's much easier for them to build that thing based on pre-existing um, components because open source is so, uh, there's so much open source now. There's so many projects. A lot of it is funded by the hyperscalers. I think we live in a different world fundamentally than we used to. And actually, I think that really changes the game, too, because so many of the, quote, dinosaurs that we talk about are really hardware companies at heart who are trying to be software companies. But that's not the world anymore. You know, they live in the in the in the previous era. Right. Um, it, it, Tim, you have such a good connection with the 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 enterprise world and the enterprise CIO. You know, are they is this right? Am I on track here? You absolutely are. I mean, to, to a large degree. Um, if you look at the private conversation versus the public conversation, the public conversation goes something like, yeah, I, I partner with different hardware providers. Sure. 
The private conversation is, I don't care. I keep them close just so I know if they're going to fall off the rails and I can adjust accordingly. But the reality is, if you if you look at how enterprise CIOs are up-leveling the conversation within their organization, so not just the conversation they're having, but then the way that their team is operating, the hardware itself is very, very quickly becoming a commodity, a commodity between vendors. And so the problem with that is when you create too many dots that you have to connect between the value that the hardware brings and a specific business outcome, it's really hard to say one vendor's product over another vendor's product is better or worse. They're all going to do what you need to do. The problem is that these vendors that are in the hardware space are really struggling to break free of those that inertia and those chains that have held them back for so long. And so transitioning from being a hardware company to more of a software company, that's not a trivial thing to do. But software, as you said, is something that is more directly tied to those business outcomes, more so than infrastructure and hardware. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a, a similar sort of trend in, in how, I mean, we, we push this trend as well. Like CIOs, you want to preserve optionality. We know we've just experienced a very pointed reminder of how quickly things can change. So if you're trying to bake in, a, we're going to pick one thing and this is going to be our strategy for five years, it's like, who, who can predict five years in the future in this industry? I mean, really, look, look five years ago, is this how you thought things would pan out? So what we're seeing instead is that there, there's a lot more flexibility required and the ability to play well with others, which has always been true to a point. Enterprises like to buy seven of everything, but you need to have these components work together. And the startups are much, much better at being compatible with other things because they have to be. A lot of the incumbents try to make, like, we'll, we'll have a, a first among equals. Our stuff will work better with our stuff. But if you want to bring in something from the outside, it's like, well, yeah, maybe it'll work. But that has become a lot easier as with some of the changes in industry that you mentioned, Stephen, like REST APIs. Um, you know, Cisco devices didn't have any real way of connecting with the outside world to op interoperate with them and, and to control them, whereas now everything has REST APIs. Everyone, everyone expects that you will be able to operate infrastructure and software systems from some kind of orchestration layer. And it will be something that you can choose which one you have. You don't have to have one that's built by the vendor. And if you really want to, you can build your own. So in that system now of lots of little modules that are all trying to connect to one another, it's pretty complicated. Um, it can be hard to navigate, but that is the way the industry is moving, is to have lots of these independent components in a much more distributed systems fashion, all kind of working together in a big swarm rather than having a single monolith like a mainframe. And that's exactly where the startups are really starting to come into their own because the big guys have had to open things up and that's let, you know, it's basically opening up the floodgates to, you know, if you can connect to something, you can create a product that connects to something and maybe add some value to that scenario. I wonder, though, is there a problem here in that maybe these companies, maybe the, the barrier of entry is so low now because of software and, and APIs and this whole this whole world. Is is this also sort of a problem uh, for those companies as well, because they just can't have the same kind of expansive vision for lock in 
that their predecessors had. I mean, you know, Hewlett and Packard in the garage soldering things together, um, you know, uh, they saw that they could build uh, basically technology that people couldn't escape from and that they would be building, you know, decade long business. Um, is the same true of a company that's, you know, developing a new ML model? I, I think it depends on what layer of the stack you're talking about. When you get into the hardware and the infrastructure, there is a pretty significant barrier to entry for new and new entrants um, to be able to be successful because you have to get to a price performance level that is on par with the existing folks. And they just have, frankly, the scale and the, the girth to be able to out uh, maneuver you. However, it's much easier to build software. Um, and as we're seeing just in the last couple of years, uh, even though AI has been around for decades, um, we're starting to see how generative AI is really changing how we think about data. And now literally anybody can touch and start to leverage data and they don't have to be an expert in technology on the back end to be able to do it. And so as we start to make technology more approachable, we start to get, you know, the citizen developer, this, you know, with low code, no code solutions, we start to get the citizen data scientist with generative AI and, and prompt engineering type solutions, or even embedding this technology within an existing tool. And so then it just becomes kind of plugging the different pieces together. But again, you're starting to see this abstraction layer um, very quickly getting created where you have to move away from the infrastructure and focus on the software. Now, the caveat to that that I'll say is at some point you reach a certain amount of scale where in some situations, public cloud might be the right solution. In other situations, private cloud might be the right solution. And yet in other uh, scenarios, you might have your own infrastructure on-prem because the cost model just dictates that or regulatory compliance, sovereignty issues. I mean, the list goes on that's going to drive those decisions. That being said there is a huge opportunity for startups to step in and capitalize on this shifting software space because the barrier to entry is asymptotically headed towards zero. Yeah, the, the opportunity is really around the processes about what, what, what is this for? And a lot of the incumbents have this, this challenge where they're particularly where they go for efficiency because efficiency tends to move things towards automation, but that means baking in whatever you're doing right now and trying to squeeze as much, you know, squeeze out all of the friction points. But efficient can make it really, really brittle. It's also quite hard to change because everything else, if this is a fully automated system, everything else has to talk to that automated system. So changing it is, is quite tricky. You have to kind of throw the whole thing out and start again. And that's the opportunity for startups is they can come in with this radically new idea or new way of thinking about, well, what if you change the way you thought about this process? What are you actually trying to achieve? Why are you still doing it this way? That worked five, 10 years ago, but it's like, yeah, but the world's different now. Why, why are you still doing all of this manual handling? And you've automated this process where you scan a document, which you then print out again. Why? I, this is one of the challenges I have with with some of these um, large language models, where you'll have someone will generate, um, will do a prompt, and it'll generate an email, which will send off to some other people, who will then summarize the email and plug it into another system. So, why are you doing any of this at all? Why not just 
stop. Because there's a whole bunch of these things that are just, why are we even doing this at all? Stop it. Change to doing something else. As we did with, you know, why is everyone commuting to the office and back and wasting three hours a day when you can just jump on a call like this and talk to people on the other side of the world? It's exactly that fresh eyes looking at what you're doing from the outside, not from the inside. And I think that's such a valuable part. And I, I, I totally get that you guys have seen that. And it, it is it's exciting. It's, it's kind of scary, I'm sure, particularly for the big guys, because they've got a lot of momentum, but they also can they can go down quite quickly. Um, we're, we're seeing in a very exciting time and, and it's going to be challenging for lots of businesses. And so part of that is also challenging for the startups as well. But I think people will have to go, we need to think about things a bit differently if we want to survive this. Yeah, I mean, there's another piece that often doesn't come up in conversations and some customers might look at it and go, I really don't care. But it does impact decisions that some of these incumbents make. And and to be honest, I mean, one of those is that most of them are publicly traded companies. They have a certain set of investors that have been with them, institutional investors, not retail investors, but institutional investors that are looking for them to spit off certain returns and, and growth. And they are absolutely not comfortable with a company being disruptive because that might impact that growth short term, which then you know, screws them in terms of the returns for a quarter or two, or maybe even four quarters or six quarters. Whereas a startup can say, you know what, we had plan A. As we started to learn more about our assumptions that went into plan A, we started to realize that we need a plan B and we can shift gears. And as long as our short list of investors, relatively speaking, are on board with that, we can make that pivot and change and, and really kind of adapt to what customers ultimately need. You can't do that with these incumbents. I mean, some of them have the potential to do it, um, but they that would require them to take some pretty dramatic uh, steps by, for example, splitting off a piece of the company. You know, we saw IBM do this with Kindrel, and then we saw how, you know, Kindrel kind of played out so far, um, which isn't great, but, you know, is that the model? I don't think so. But I think some of these have a have a little bit of potential to do that. But I think the startups again are are really where that innovation is ultimately going to come from. One of the things that um, I want to kind of get to the, to the Trailblazers awards here specifically, Rose. One of the things that I look at is the Firestarter category because you know you talk about funding and you talk about VCs and and things like that. The idea that um, that companies can basically now start without all that is just incredible. I mean, what do you see there? Well, I mean, it's it's something we introduced a, a while ago because we felt that there were lots of, you know, we're talking a few years ago now, when there were a lot of uh, funding rounds, people were being able to secure an awful lot of money. But we were seeing people who were already quite mature. They already had a big customer base or a relatively big customer base, had a lot of support, a lot of recognition, a lot of awareness for what they were doing. Uh, and the Firestarters was very much more about people who hadn't got VC funding yet and were quite young. And it only really is relevant, really, to what we were talking about, the fact that if you're hardware, that's not going to work because you kind of need to have that money. You need to have a Series A to be able to get 
everything in place to be able to do it. However, now with the software only businesses, you don't need that. You need the idea and then you need the development team to make it happen. And then the, the it, it, you can go and get from A to B without any funding, um, but do it at seed or angel level. Um, and, and that's what the Firestarters is, is about. So it's the younger the younger players, the really, really new kids on the block. So, and, and we're seeing more and more of them as well. And, it, and it's exciting because you know that some of these are still, they may well pivot one or more two times, you know, one or more times before they actually get to where they need to get to, to, to kind of be mature. But they can because they are, they are working with a much more flexible approach to the whole situation. Yeah, th I think it's a it's a great thing, and I'd love to see more of it. Um, the challenge is making sure that you're not just a bit player. You're not just creating a feature, calling your product a product, but yet it's really just a feature in the big scheme of things. But on the other extreme, you can't build platforms either. Um, there's a lot of risk to it. Um, there's not a big appetite from the investment community to, to build platforms. It's really hard to exit and integrate platforms into existing platforms. So how do you become a product that is actually solving a core issue for customers, but it's more than a feature and less than a platform? And that's really kind of the, the navigating that most of these companies have to carefully um thread the needle on yep they do and they should come and talk to us because that's what we help people do um yeah it, it is quite tricky yeah to be able to get to, to figure out how you find that sweet spot i do wonder whether and i, I know we're kind of going to be wrapping up soon but whether in a few years time if we were having this conversation again we'll have seen a a rise in maybe the collaborative startup approach where people who have got things that mold together to become a bigger product start to work together and maybe ultimately become a company. You know, the whole joint venture stuff always has been traditionally something primarily for big companies, but maybe smart VCs will one day, let's find a stable of people who, who make something bigger than the two parts or three parts of what they are. So maybe that's the future. Well, I, th I think that's a really great point, Rose. And, you know, to be a little provocative, I, I would say just as the incumbent uh, space has to evolve and kind of really needs a redo, so does the VC space. I mean, the VC space in, to a large degree is, is broken as well because it, it serves investors, it serves um, a number of different stakeholders, but does it ultimately serve the customer first? And the answer is no, it doesn't. And so I think that's a miss, and I think we've seen some some pretty hard challenges. But the other thing is, if you look at the returns coming out of it, yeah, okay, so it's been it's been profitable for some of those folks. But look at all the energy that's gone into these companies that fail. What if we could redirect and have a higher success output rate, and redirect that energy into solving some of these bigger issues again? not suggesting we go all the way to platforms, but get out of focusing on features and focus on something uh, more valuable to companies. I think that would actually be far more interesting 
And but it's going to require a rethink as to how we do investment and how we manage and direct these companies too. Well, I guess that's that's the opportunity of these periods of change is that we can rethink how how we did things. So there, that's what historically this is what's happened is we've had some incumbents that failed to change quick enough and they tend to die off, and then some of the new people who've had a rethink about it built those those new products as you as you mentioned, Tim. This is the time where that all happens. So we're right in the middle of it. It's it's kind of fun. Definitely agree with that. I mean, I think one of the big things is I've always thought with startups is your most important investors are your customers. And I think that maybe if they can really embrace that, yes, of course, getting external funding is important. But if you can get a loyal customer base, if you can get ambassadors in the marketplace for you and that revenue stream, maybe we will see less reliance perhaps on the VC funding moving forward. So, you know, as Rose was saying, you know, I think there's a lot of inertia around the incumbents, but they're going to have to change. They're going to have to rethink how they're approaching these problems. But I think this also opens the door for startups to really kind of navigate and set the the pace and direction uh, that companies go. And frankly, if they're successful, they actually will be at the pointy end of the arrow and bring the incumbents along. Um, those that ultimately don't survive or don't um, make that transition, that successful transition, I think will eventually die. I mean, again, because there's so much inertia around them, even if they screw up, any of them, it's going to be a long time before we see them disappear. But this really is a pivotal time for these startups to to really kind of shine. And, and I'd love to see them succeed in doing that. Yeah, I do love to see it when these companies come out with something new, uh, something interesting, and especially uh, as Justin points out, something profitable. I love to see it when they, uh, you know, when they can uh, build themselves um, by answering something that the customers need. And like where Rose was saying too about, uh, you know, um, that the customer is the best investment. Uh, I love that's a, that's an incredible um, thought, and and I would love to see that um, be something that 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 more companies embrace. Um, I guess uh, when I'm looking at these awards, when I'm kind of judging these things, you know, the, I'm looking for companies that have real products that aren't just features, uh, that aren't just um, somebody else's R and D. Um, it kind of sickens my stomach a little bit when I see a company that has absolutely no business model and is just trying to, you know, get bought. Um, and then on the flip side, I see some of these companies that are obviously building something, something useful, something interesting, and something that's a real product. And and that's what I'm looking for. Um, I guess before we go, Rose, uh, tell us a little bit more about the awards. Um, you know, what's the the the, the calendar for it, and um, and what should we expect this year? So, uh, firstly, I'm delighted to meet Tim and Justin, and thanks for facilitating that, Stephen. It's been a really exciting conversation, and I think we're, we we share a lot of similar views, despite the fact of the distance between us. We are situated literally across the globe for this conversation and that very much mirrors the the approach we've taken to the awards to look at what's actually happening across the world um and looking at bringing in new technology categories bringing in you know from ai through to storage sustainability big tech sorry big data the fintech world iot 
you know, containers, a whole proliferate. And I invite you to have a look if you're in the startup world. Um, the call to action really is for people to have a look if you're in the startup world and see if it's something for you. See if it could be a benefit if you and put your hat in the ring. You can go to the Trailblazers, the Tech Trailblazers website and we're running the competition until early September. So there's still plenty of time to get involved. So let us know if you have any questions. Thank you. Well, thanks very much. Uh, I'm glad that we could. Uh, I'm glad I could introduce you to some new folks because you've introduced me to some new folks as well in the past. So, um, Tim, Justin, um, where can we connect with you and continue this conversation? Yeah, and thanks again for having me. It's always great to engage in these kinds of thought-provoking conversations, and and hopefully, uh, folks listening get um, some nuggets out of it too. Uh, it'll be great to see you know the tech trailblazers and see how that progresses as well. Um, you can find me on social media. I do, uh, you know, participate in Twitter and threads and, but probably mostly on LinkedIn and then have my own blog at avoa.com, A-V-O-A.com. But would love to hear from you and, and uh, hear your perspective on some of the thoughts that I share in each of those spaces. Yeah, likewise, this is, this is always fun uh, talking about this stuff. I'd love to do this all day long. Uh, if if you're a, a customer and you want to understand this market some more, please get in touch with us. You can find our website at uh, pivot9.com. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn as well. And uh, similarly, if you're a startup who wants to talk to customers and understand this better, we we do a lot of work with uh, with people in that series series A early early stage kind of companies. We love working with you, uh, so do get in touch. Um, and if you want to hear more thoughts from me, uh, I have a weekly newsletter, which you can find on the website. Uh, it's called The Crux. So sign up and uh, you can get these kinds of thoughts into your inbox every week. Thanks so much. And as for me, uh, you'll find uh, me at uh, Gestalt IT. Uh, we do a couple of weekly podcasts, uh, Mondays uh, utilizing tech. Uh, right now we're focusing on Edge. Tuesday is the on-premise uh, podcast, which you're listening to right now. And then Wednesday is our weekly uh, news rundown program. Uh, we also have a newsletter. It'd be great for you to sign up for that. Uh, also, uh, maybe check out the uh, Tech Field Day website to learn more about what we're doing over there. Thanks for listening to uh, the On-Premise IT podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do give us a rating or a, a subscription in your favorite podcast application. And of course, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. You'll also find the show on YouTube, on the Gestalt IT YouTube channel. This podcast is brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.